1: I have seen pain. I have seen suffering. I have seen evil. And I have come to this conclusion that 80% of the suffering in the world can be laid at the feet of men.
2: It's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who was actually in the arena, whose face is marked by dust and sweat and blood. Welcome to the Men in the Arena podcast, where we interview specialists in the realm of manhood.
0: Dale Culver. Break the silence, buddy. Boom. There we go. How you doing, man? Broken. You doing all right? <laughs> I'm doing good.
3: <laughs> hey, I just
0: got to I just got to say real quick I'm really excited about this free resource that we have on our website. It went up live yesterday. Guys, it's called Tell Them 200 Things Great Fathers Tell Their Sons and Daughters. It has a Bible verse, reflection questions. It's got all sorts of stuff. This is a great resource for you guys who are wanting to love your children well. It is so important as a man who is in the arena, who is in the stress bubble of life, to really focus in on those kids. So guys, we're really excited about this resource. Again, it is free to you, and I think you're going to be blessed that you went to our website, manarena.org, and picked it up. So, hey, Dale, do you have a man word for me today?
3: Yeah, and I was just going to tell him there's a seven-second delay before the pop-up comes up for that book. So just hang tight for seven seconds, guys, Okay. And so, but yes, I do have a man word. Well, also Dale,
0: I'll add, they can also go to the book section and pull it off the book section.
3: There you go. I like it. Good
0: job. Way to think ahead. Thanks, So buddy. I
3: have a man word that is very Oreo. So it's uh, not vanilla. Thank oh, you very so much. it's
0: not, it's not, you're not picking children? Nope. Or, nope. Okay.
3: I had to look for synonyms so you could. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. So this word is cognizant. Okay. Oh, good cognizant. job. Cognizant. And, and I know, I know our guest's story, um, but, and so this definition really uh, fell in line with what, what's happening here. It says knowledgeable of something, especially through personal experience, and I believe it was through personal experience that our guest had with children that he notices children in a way that many of us don't, and it completely changed his world, so there, there's my thing. And I think, I think we need to be cognizant. You have been... Uh, One of the things that I appreciate uh, is when I've come in, I remember it was a couple years ago, I walked into your office with little Noah, our little nephew that we adopted, and you were on your hand. You heard us coming. You got on your hands and knees, and you were hiding (laughs) behind the corner. (laughs) And I know the big Jimmy, the muscly Jimmy coach, like, get her done, dude. And here to see you on all fours, trying to like play with him and scare him or whatever. It was hilarious. And I was like, this is a different side. This is awesome. And it was probably after our podcast we had with our guests so uh, we need to we need to notice kids
0: and we need to love them yeah well our guest gave me a book and the book has literally changed this area of my life in fact i was in the airport in ontario california just this weekend and there are these we're all waiting in line everybody's got their masks on and here's this little family a uh, guy with his kids he's got three little little black daughters and they're wearing these beautiful little pink unicorn little wool outfits and they're all afraid to fly. And I walked up and I said, you three in those beautiful pink dress uh, jackets, you look like three beautiful princesses. And the mom was like, oh, my gosh, girls, did you hear that? What do you say to the nice man? And that was because <laughs> of our guest. And honestly, he is one of the heroes in my life. And uh, uh, he, uh, I, I am pretty vocal about saying he's one of the greatest men I've ever met. And it's an honor to have him on the show. Guys, you are going to love this show today with my friend Wes Stafford but before I bring Wes on we like to highlight you guys every week you guys in the arena you guys loving your children you guys loving your wife you guys loving your churches you are the true heroes to us and so we have guys every day almost writing stories of how God has used our ministry to change them we call those hero stories so Dale do you have one of those for us today
3: yeah, guys, and this is a powerful one. I think I think this podcast is going to be turning into like the crying podcast. There's so many awesome things that God is doing and that we get experience that. Uh, yeah, either that or we're just getting old and so uh, <laughs> getting more feelings. But oh, this yeah. guy, this guy says, I want to take a minute to thank you for your ministry and the impact it has had on my life. I grew up with the great father who loved Christ and was an example of a, of a man in every way. However, he passed away nearly 20 years ago, and without any guidance from an older man in my life, I have been struggling. Then I found Men in the Arena, and things changed. Thanks to your ministry, I now have a resource for continued teaching and encouragement. In the last two years that I have been following Men in the Arena, I've grown in my faith and been able to help my family grow as well. I've learned to make decisions against myself. I've heard that said a few times on our podcast. And have been able to consistently get up earlier than I have to, so I can read my Bible and pray that's pretty awesome. I also feel that I have uh, a much better picture of what I need to do going forward to be my best version the best version of myself and to lead my family. Thanks again for all you guys do, uh, do for guys like me and so that's uh, a fr- a guy named Seth in the in the pacific
0: Northwest so that that is that is just awesome. Well guys, we are just honored and humbled uh, that you would reach out to us and take the time to affirm and encourage us and that really does give us some wind in our sails to keep going and so thanks Seth for all that
3: yeah and we want to remind Seth um, shoot us a, a message somehow hey you read my my little thing there and we want to hook you up with some swag so we've got some cool stuff we want to send you
0: yeah so uh, hey thanks for that guys hey I want to do something a little different today Dale normally I take our guests and I read their bio Yep. But as you know I just finished the rough draft to a book that's going to be released in June called The Full Capacity Man. And what we've done is we've taken the 20 qualities of a biblical elder which should be our goal as men to be qualified biblically to lead and I and I've got one chapter particular and it's called The Gentle Man. And so I want to read this to you without getting our guest too embarrassed and so the the Subtitle over this section is called A Giant Among Men. So I'm just gonna read this instead of reading Wes's bio. Here it is. I want to share about the greatest man I've ever met. I interviewed hundreds of great men, men who have founded denominations, built global ministries, sold millions of books, but one stands above them rest above above the rest. Wes Stafford is president emeritus of Compassion International. Under his leadership, Compassion grew to a $500 million annual budget, 84% of which went directly to children. With over 2.5 million sponsored children globally, Wes is a real man's man. He's a U.S. Army veteran, avid outdoorsman, and a master with a slingshot, which he used to find food and defend himself from wild beasts as a missionary's child on the Ivory Coast of Africa. He's been awarded five honorary doctorates, has dined with presidents of countries, but would trade it all to give a hug to a child. His passion for children originates from the missionary days in Africa when he witnessed many of his childhood friends die easily of treatable diseases. Die of easily treated diseases. Once after visiting a grocery store full of food and a pharmacy filled with medicine, he cried out about the seemingly callous American public who were unaware of his village's poverty. Once asked about his passion, Wes instantly responded. And I heard this personally, so this is a quote I heard. Wes said, I'm always seconds away from crying over children. I was created for this. I didn't know what greatness was until I saw it for the first time. We watched greatness all the time, but to experience it firsthand was life-changing for me. The first time I met Wes, he was speaking at our church with great passion and humility. He spoke with fire and eyes and passionate in his words about the need to help the children of the world. I knew I was standing on holy ground. I couldn't help but compare myself to the man my wife had. I couldn't help but compare Wes to the wife my to the man my wife had married. Greatly inspired, I thought to myself, I wish Shanna could be married to a man like that. It was a defining moment when I resolved to prepare every day for that moment when I could chase for the glory of God. A few years later, Men in the Arena was launched. Mm-hmm. Today I act differently around children because of a statement in Wes's book, Just a Minute, quote: I've become convinced that. That if God stands a child before you for even just a minute, it is a divine appointment. I'm sure that Wes would trade all that he's achieved to share bread comes with a child. He, he can stand up with any man, but would rather stoop down to pick up a child. His ability to pour gentleness from a position of strength is what embodies a spirit. That, uh, the spirit of gentleness that Puritan leader Jonathan Edwards wrote about when he said, All who are truly godly and are real disciples of Christ have a gentle spirit in them end of quote. So Wes, uh, I have that in my next book coming out to honor you. And uh, I know that you hate to hear that because you are a humble man, but that's how I feel. And I put it on paper. I hope I was accurate enough, but welcome to our show. I would really like to be that guy, whoever you were talking about. (laughs) (laughs) Well, your dog thinks that you're that guy.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's true. Jim, thank you. Thank you for that. Yeah. I, I am a man's man, but I'm never more than 10 seconds away from tears when I consider what's going on in the world and the opportunities we have to bless people around us. So I'm honored to get to be with you guys. I, I picture we're just sitting around a campfire. So uh, I, I'll go anywhere you want to go. Yeah, hopefully a campfire with
0: our bows very close near, close by <laughs> and maybe a dead elk hanging in a tree. So exactly. I know you would appreciate it. So, 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 Wes, tell us... Uh, I, I usually ask our guests to tell us their story, but I want to do this a little different. I want to ask you to tell us your just-a-minute story, and I know that you have a couple of them going back from when you were in a boarding school to when you were in, uh, involved with your little childhood buddies on the Ivory Coast. Can you just walk us through uh, these stories that have defined your life?
1: Uh, yeah well you you you, you walk me right into the most complicated <laughs> of them and i'll i 'll try to summarize it. I was a very very uh abused child in a boarding school uh in africa and I've, i I write that in my book uh, Too Small to Ignore. Don't often talk about it because it's a really, really painful thing to, uh, to talk about. Didn't talk to anybody about it for 35 years, but mm. uh, I, I became passionate about children who are abused because of what happened to me. Uh, there were 50 of us kids in that place. The people responsible for us were missionaries, Jim. Um, oh, man. But they, uh, they weren't called to work with children. They didn't want to work with children. Nobody trained them how to work with children. And nobody held them accountable for how they did work with children. And so the, the group of us, we were gone from our parents nine months out of every year. And uh, we, we were abused in every way you can. Uh, spiritually, I was scared to death of God. I knew I was a sinner in the hands of an angry God. Uh, physically, I was uh, punished. Uh, almost every day. I once did the math. How many times do they beat me in this place? And it was 17 times a week, with a with a belt or a big old sandal. Uh, emotionally, I was destroyed because I thought I was stupid and dumb and awful. Um, and then, of course, whenever those kind of evils go on, um, uh, sexual abuse also happens. So here mm-hmm. we were. Uh, Nine months away from our parents, 800 miles away from our parents, the very people who are reading us our Bible stories, minutes later when the power was off at the generator, uh, were prowling the halls, uh, sexually abusing us. We had nowhere to, to run. I was broken, as you can imagine. They warned us, don't tell your parents what happens here, or you'll ruin their ministries. And there will be, this is how they said it, there will be Africans in hell because of you. And don't you know that 50 of us children endured that and never, even though we wrote letters every Sunday uh, back to our parents, never said a word about that because we loved our Lord. We loved our parents and we loved Africans too much to do that. Even three months at home on vacation, none of us talked. Mm. Long story short, I finally did on furlough for a year in America, uh, saying goodbye to my folks. One of the things these people would not allow is uh, a picture up at school. Some genius thought that would be a little too hard on us to remember what our parents looked like. So uh, the first month I could not forget. Every time I closed my eyes, there was my mom waving goodbye. By the ninth month, Mm. I couldn't remember what she looked like. And so here we are going back to Africa, leaving our parents, they're coming by ship. 20 of us kids are going by plane. And I take my mom's hands at Kennedy Airport, I take her face in my hands and I look at her just a little too long and she says, Wes, what are you doing? And I said, oh, mama, I just don't want to forget what you look like. Well, she burst into tears and I did too. And I seized that moment, Jim, I had just seconds because they were boarding the plane and as as the best a little nine-year-old could do, I said, mommy, please don't send me back to those people. They hate me. They beat me. I can't even tell you what they do to me. And she looked at me like, what? What can I do? Well, we climbed on the airplane and she was stuck with that, came by ship with no further information. And sure enough, when she got to America, uh, to Africa, she had had a nervous breakdown on that ship. Oh. and had to be sent all the way back to America. So now word gets, spreads up to the school that this little guy, Wesley, talked and, um, and ruined his parents' ministry. His mom's back in America. And I remember the house father who had abused me for years, grabbed a, a, a folding chair, had me stand up in front of all my 50 little buddies. And he says, take a look at this little guy here. This is Satan's tool. He talked, we told you not to tell. He told, and now they're going to be Africans in hell because of him. And then he got this idea. He, he, he went and he got a, a birthday candle and he carved it with his pocket knife from both ends. I'm standing up in front of my friends. And he says, You can't serve God and Satan. Little Wesley tried that. Watch what happens when you try to you can't burn a candle at both ends. And Jim, he lit the candle. And I'm standing there in front of my friends, my heart is already broken about my mama. And I watch this candle start burning toward me. He turns away from me and he starts talking about how wicked I am. He starts talking about how hot is hell and my African buddies that are there because of me. He turns around and I'm still holding that candle. It's been like 30 seconds now. And I thought deep in my heart, this was a moment, I thought in my heart, you know what? I have always lost this man he's big and i'm small he's strong and i'm weak he's abused me for years but boy he just leveled the playing field for the first time ever Mm. if i'm willing to endure enough pain i could finally win against this horrible man this is going to be his waterloo and it's going to be my masada i will not reverse from this And so I held on to that. I clenched. I clenched my jaws. I clenched every. I'm 10 years old now. Hmm. I clenched every muscle in my body, and I watched this thing closer and closer. He turns around, shocked that I'm still. He doesn't know that this is the battle of my life. Yeah. And he. uh, And and so I said, I don't care how much this hurts. I will not. I cannot lose to this man again. And I watched as the flames came in from both sides and a, my my skin turned red. I could feel incredible pain, but I clenched it even tighter, and I would not let go. I watched a bubble pop out of my skin on either side. Just at that moment, the most amazing thing, really a mercy of God, I think, I floated out of my little body mm. and I was up over the top looking down at this little 10 year old boy with his pith helmet on, his his bony little legs trembling in fear smoke curled up from both sides at that point, but I wasn't feeling any pain now. When one of my best buddies couldn't take it anymore, he jumped up and he slapped it out of my hand. Everybody screamed and ran. And I stood there alone in the dining room now. My, my, every bit of my body is trembling, but I had won. Mm. For the first time in my life, I had actually stood up and I had won. And in that minute, I knew what I was going to do with the rest of my life. I would fight for children. I would speak up for those who couldn't speak for themselves. I would challenge the whole world to understand and care about children. And so my passion, as you know, Jim, all these years, is I fight hard for children who are being abused And I fight hard for children who are suffering in poverty. Those two came together in that minute on that chair in that boarding school when I was nine years old. You know, I've heard that story before, uh, both written and spoken by
0: you. And Mm. uh, I think that was the best time, the best story I've heard. I I haven't grasped the full uh, degree of your emotion in that story and that is just so inspiring and and not only the candle at both ends story west but but the story of watching your little buddies growing up being eaten by
1: wild animals or a die of hunger related illnesses do you want to share something there Well, this is the other side. You know, my childhood was kind of the the best of times and the worst of times. The best of times was the three months that I got to spend in this little African village where my parents were serving, a little village called Nele on the Sahara Desert. We had no electricity. We had no refrigerator. We had no radio. (laughs) I mean, it was like we were camping uh, all through my childhood. We had nothing. I slept on a cot. This is why I love elk hunting now. It's like going home. <laughs> but they had they had a saying in this village uh, that it takes the whole village to raise a child. Huh. And it wasn't a plaque on somebody's wall. This is how they lived their lives. My sister and I were the only white children for 100 miles. And 100 miles was like an elk back log road. That's how far you could drive yeah. in a day. Yeah. And so... Um, so here I was the wrong color but because of their value of children uh, I belonged to every child did but I was included every child belonged to every grown up. And so uh, I never fell down as a little guy in that village without some African woman swooping in picking me up drying my tears. I didn't get away with a lot of mischief uh, because I stood <laughs> out. I remember we used to gather with no no radio or television. We would gather around a bonfire in the evenings, a whole village. And it was kind of like the evening news. You know, the, the chief would talk and tell us about what he'd heard is going on in the world. And, you know, we would sing and we would dance. But I remember one time he said, you know, the goats are getting a little skinny. And it's not because we're in a drought this year. It's because the little boys are chasing them all around the village. <laughs> And he said, and in all the swirling red dust, I don't know who all the culprits are, but I do know this, the little white boy right here, he's one of them. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, Lord, I need some better camouflage for this. And I used to pray every night, Lord, please. And I know you can do this, You (laughs) you parted the Red Sea, you brought down the walls of Jericho In the morning, when I wake up, let my skin be black like all my friends. And that's what I, Jim, I would check that first thing every morning. I'd look (laughs) and I'd go, still white, but maybe tomorrow. (laughs) So these people people poured themselves into me. Uh, I, I learned from them not only how to hunt and fish and... By the time I was 15, I was a fully trained peasant farmer. I could have raised a family on the Sahara desert when I was 15 years old, but they also taught me what the poor know really well. And that is love and joy and hope and, and humor and courage and strength. I used to tell people everything I need to know to lead Compassion's worldwide ministry, I learned from the poor in that little African village. Wow. But we were poor, and this is, this is where the other half of my story comes in. Uh, ch- children died all around me because we had no electricity, no way to re- embalm them. They were buried the same day that they died. And, uh, and some of them died right in my own arms. One of my best buddies died of a snake bite. A snake we had that could kill you in 30 minutes i was pleading with god to save his life uh, when he shuddered and and rolled his head rolled off my elbow and he was he was gone long story short this went on night after night after night i would lie in my cot i would listen to the drums celebrating one of my friends my eyes would fill the tears it would spill down onto my pillow and my 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 ears would fill with tears in my then my pillow Finally, I would drift off asleep, but a few days later, it'd be another one of my children. And I thought, one of my little buddies, and I, I thought, that's how the world works. I saw it in the animal kingdom. Uh, you know, the, the very young and the very old are vulnerable, they, they die. So I thought the whole world was like that mm. until, as you read just now, uh, I got to America and the first day in America is New York City and I see a grocery store and I see a pharmacy and I realized none of that needed to happen. There's plenty mm. of food. There's plenty of medicine. By the time I was 15, half of all my little childhood buddies had died in that village. And when I discovered that it was poverty that took them, uh, I became a warrior. You put me and poverty as two little boys on a playground, duking it out. And if the teacher jumped in the middle of us and said, Hey, 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 stop this. Who started this? I could honestly say, he did. He broke my heart when I was small and all I'm doing with the rest of my life is fighting back. Wow. So that is the two halves of my coin abuse, and poverty. And I have given my entire life and everything I have to fighting those. And that's why any moment with a child, I know how powerful it is. It can be a lifelong memory, as you said. Mm -hmm. And I have, uh, like you, Jim, uh, I I don't see the world the same way most people do. The children are not half my size. Uh, They don't disappear in the crowd. They stand out at me. Yes. To remind myself, by the way, I wear a a Mickey Mouse watch. (laughs) I love it. First of all, it keeps me from taking myself too seriously. But the second thing is every time I look at what time is it, I'm reminded of my mission to champion children. And uh, when I look up from it, uh, after I have checked what time it is, I look to see, is there a child around me? Is there something I could say to this little one or that little one? Or can I, if there are none, can I just breathe a prayer for children in general? Mm-hmm. Now you know me. This is my cause. This is my purpose. This is just how sick I am. But by God's grace, he's given me the chance to to, to not only do it, but try to inspire other people to join us. We need men in the arena to be men in the arena. No, you know I agree
0: 100%. I mean. And you know, Wes... It's funny, when you're telling the story of your childhood, you mentioned, a, you said something about having a plaque on the wall. Yeah. But on page 91 of your book, you actually have a plaque on your wall, and that plaque says, nothing done for a child is ever wasted. Can you walk us through that? Uh,
1: it, I've had that on my wall here at Compassion for, uh, well, I've been here for 45 years now. Whoa. I was its president for 20 of those years, and now eight years, I've served as president emeritus. Same same mission, same passion, uh, just not responsible for running this big old thing. Uh, I don't, I don't hire and fire, and I don't do the strategic plans, and I don't deal with the board. And, but, uh, but I have that uh, that plaque to remind myself that it doesn't. You, if you wait around until you can do something really huge, like build a school or, or, you know, fund a hospital or something for children, well, you may never get it done. I'm saying in that thing is if you have a minute with a child and if you say anything to either encourage that child, challenge that child, comfort that child, or if you do nothing more than give them a little hug, you have done something that while you may not immediately recognize the the value of that, the significance of that contribution, it's never wasted. They all accumulate in a child's heart. I maintain in that book, Jim, I don't want to get ahead of you, but I maintain that the spirit of a child is a lot like wet cement. It's very impressionable. And it doesn't take but a minute to launch a life.
0: Well, you said early on in your book, and I hesitate to ask this question because it really is the impetus for the rest of the book, and and the podcast may be over after I ask (laughs) this question. But on page 11 of your book, you have two statements in your book that I have put into practice every day of my life and this is one of them and you said this and i'm gonna let you unpack this uh, and inspire us with your with your passion for kids you said i have become convinced that if god stands a child before you for even just a minute
1: it is a divine appointment yeah absolutely that is the heart and soul of uh, of that book you know i wrote that in uh, in the first book that i wrote uh, too yep. small to ignore then, as I was, and, and I would speak of it at conferences, and then as I was autographing books, the lines would get really long because everybody that I was signing their book had a story. They said, Let me tell you about my minute. And so mm. I would listen. Uh, it ended up with a hug or wiping tears from a precious person's eyes or a quick word of prayer. And the lines got longer and longer for autographs. And I began to say, You know what? I think we're onto something, a real truth in the kingdom. And so I turned around and I wrote the second book, uh, the Just a Minute book. And as you know, Jim, in it uh, is a story of 68 people who remember the minute that their life got mm-hmm. launched. They remember what someone said, what someone did uh, that really launched their their life. Well, and, and sadly enough,
0: we're going to share a story uh, later on, I'm going to read a quote. And when you read about this poor little boy, it's tragic and you feel sorry for him. But when you find out what happened in that minute, what this little boy became, it's mm. it's really, really scary how we can turn that minute into a life that changes a life positively or negatively. And, yeah. and you said something on page 15. I'll just let you uh, go from here. We never know when we will make a lifelong memory for someone that's why we must be so gentle and kind
1: to one another all the time. Yep. Absolutely. You know, when I was writing that book, I I was actually out in Portland. I was driving out uh, to my buddy Rick Robinson's place, elk hunting, and I came to a construction zone. And I remember the signs along the road said, slow down if you injure a worker $15,000 fine and uh, X amount of time in prison. So, yeah, I slowed down and then I got to thinking as I was driving that slow, what if we had a sign like that whenever a child is around? Slow down, notice what's going on. I maintain I maintain if you see a child, you should put your hard hat on, your steel-toed boots, your tool belt, and you should ask yourself, what is God building here? Mm. And is there anything I could say or do in this moment to help advance God's cause in this little child's life? So Jim, you're right in a moment, you can launch a life. And, uh, I also know that in a moment, like with my candle, you can destroy a life. So, you know, we, yeah. all have, we all have somebody that we owe, I believe. If we stop and ponder our childhood and where we came from, inevitably, I've never met anybody given enough time who can't say, oh, yeah, that was a pivotal moment. And that was my Sunday school teacher. That was my coach. Uh, that was my grandpa uh, that said something that launched me. For example, they say, "My, but you're a smart little boy. And you've actually built your life on that, you know. You got a PhD. You're proving them right. Or if you're a little girl, and they said, "My, but you're beautiful." Now at age 45, you look in the mirror and you still see beauty, because that got into your heart. That got into your. That got into your soul. Uh, let me let, Jim, let me take just a second to tell a quick story that we may need to prime the pump as we talk about. Because uh, I'd like to encourage people to take a minute and remember. Yes, but, yes. So early on in this, uh, this I'll just tell this takes very little time. So I was talking to this concept to a group of school teachers, about 500 of them. And you would think that teachers would understand this, of course. And so I paused having made the, the case. I said, um, does anybody have a story that this brings to mind and a young man about 3 uh, 3 aisles in from where i was speaking uh, kind of timidly raised his hand and he says i'm in my first year of teaching as a, a first grader and uh, and uh, i th- he said i have a moment like that i think i know what you're talking about and i said well are you you willing to share it with anyone Uh, all these teachers? And he says, well, okay. He says, you have to know what I was like as a little six-year-old boy. My self-esteem was horrible. I thought I was the dumbest kid in the classroom. Many of us guys can relate to that, right, Jim? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) He says, I adored my teacher, but I never, I tried not to make eye contact with her because I never knew what was going on. Never raised my hand because I never knew the answer. Uh, And that's who I was as a little six year old. He says, but one time we were working independently at our desks and all of a sudden I got a waft of perfume and I realized, oh no, she's standing right behind me right now. And he says, I can remember my heart pounding and my stomach churning. He thought, she can now look at my paper. She knows I don't know what's going on. He says, I'll never forget a little brush on my shoulder and this beautiful hand came over the top of me. He says, I'll never forget the color of the fingernail polish on her hand. She reached down and she put a little gold star on the corner of my paper. And she leaned down and whispered, my, but you're a smart little boy. I bet you would be a great teacher someday. And he said it to all of us. He said, and I knew in that moment, that's what I wanted to be. I wanted to make children feel what I just felt. I wanted to be a teacher. And I said, did you ever tell her? Because one of the things I encourage people to do is find your hero and tell them, did you ever tell her? And he says, well, no, it never occurred to me to do that. I said, do you think she even knows? And now tears began to trickle down his cheeks. And he said, well, she does now. (laughs) Yeah. And we were all sitting there thinking, how does heaven work? Do we get to go to the balcony and listen back into what's going on? We were all thinking these deep theological thoughts when he said, because she's sitting right over there. And we all looked across the room. And here was this silver-haired, beautiful, dignified teacher with tears streaming down her face. She remembered that moment. And they got up and they walked to the center aisle, long overdue hug, and I said, you know what, I'm done. Everything I wanted to tell you happened right there. Go do that.
0: Well, it's funny. When I read your book, mm. I actually I have it circled in my book, my copy. You can see <laughs> it right there. Yeah. I, ca- I called my eighth grade physical education teacher, oh. Dick Biden, who, who said something to me. Uh, that I won't repeat, but it really really, really inspired me through high school, college, and life. And I called Dick. I got a hold of him. He was eighty two years old. Oh my. And I said, I just want you to know that what you said changed my life. And he uh-huh. was so uh-huh. deeply moved. Mm. And you know, the cool thing, you know, six months later he ended up dying. And I oh thought, my. I'm so glad I got that off. And then You've another guy I've got a my other my English teacher was another one who he at one point told me, You should even be in this English class. You're not at that level. But that actually inspired me, and I'm the only one in my class who's written 11 books. So I want to. I've, I've reached out to him and I said, "Thank you for inspiring me with that." And so I think that's so important oh, yes. that we realize how vital it is. You just never know what's going to happen, you know. So, it, on page 59 of your book, you speak of a young boy, and it, let me read the quote from your book. His mother took him to church where he sang in the church and even considered becoming a priest at one point.
2: Yeah, I know that But something
0: happened to that little boy that impacted the world, especially through the beatings and ridiculous father of this little boy you wrote. Quote, we can almost hear him deciding they'll never make fun of me again. And this is after the Toga boy story where he was yep. trying to sneak out of the house after a beating from his dad. He gets yep. stuck in the window. He puts a sheet to cover him up. His dad yep. comes in he, and makes fun of he him. He took
1: all of his clothes off to get through the bars of the window.
0: And Yeah, and when we read that story, Wes, we really, our heart breaks for that little boy. Yes. Who, who, that poor little boy who wanted to be a Catholic priest. Whatever happened to that little boy? Who is that little boy?
1: You know, I make the case, Jim, that uh, while you can build a life in a minute, you can destroy a life in a minute. And that is a little boy who was destroyed by that minute. It doesn't excuse who he became. It doesn't excuse what he done, but it explains it. And that little boy on page 59 is 11-year-old Adolf Hitler. Mm-hmm. Who knows? He wanted to be a priest. He wanted, he was in the, he was a choir boy. He was an altar boy. He was on the path to being a good person. And in that moment, the shame from his own father, um, broke his heart and he must've said, nobody will ever laugh at me again. I will be stronger than anyone around me. And anyone who threatens me, I will destroy. And it happened in a minute to an 11 year old.
0: You know what I see in that story? I see Uh, a little boy holding a candle burning at both ends. Yeah. Saying, I will never let any. And so we just, guys, we just need to understand, men, how vital your influences to this world. And it may not even be the children that you know. It may be children you've never seen. You yes. never know what impact you can make. So, so Wes, you're committed to little children. And you, generally speaking, are very selective about the shows you come on and the people that you speak to. And yep. so... It's an honor to have you on our show, Speaking to Men, and I know why you're here. In 2017, on a podcast we had with you four years ago, you said this, and I want you to say it again, Mm. (laughs) in West Stafford (laughs) fashion. You said, if you fix the men, you will fix 80% of the world's problems. And I would venture that the abuse that you saw, was most of that was
1: from men. It was. Men were in charge of that school. Men didn't care what went on in that school. They didn't come back and check on us. Uh, Yeah, I I, I absolutely, and now I've worked now for 45 years among the poor in the world. I have seen the world's worst. I have seen pain. I have seen suffering. I have seen evil. And I have come to this conclusion that 80% of the suffering in the world can be laid at the feet of men. If men would just be faithful husbands... If they would just be loyal, hardworking fathers, if they would support their families, I maintain, and this is after a lifetime of watching hurt in the world, 80% of all the hurt in the world would be gone. One of my great joys at Compassion, you know, we now, we now sponsor 2.2 million children and half of them are boys. Wow. We are raising Well over a million future fathers, pastors, mechanics, bankers, uh, and we are pouring ourselves into them knowing that if we can shape their hearts, they will shape their world. That's so powerful. And I got to say
0: this, you you probably don't know this, Wes, but last week we we went back and recorded an hour-long podcast episode on generosity uh, and I, I wanted to find a man who I felt like embodied generosity. And we actually had a man on the show that you've already mentioned our podcast, our mutual friend Rick Robinson. Oh, yeah. And and Rick has given his life through generosity to help uh, these young men and women grow from children who've been um, maybe left behind to yeah. leaders. Do you want to tell us a little bit about the leadership development program for guys who are listening?
1: Oh yeah. Well you <laughs> never know. You never know what God has been knitting in their mama's womb. Even in the midst of a terrible poverty setting, there is genius, there is strength, there is character that God says, "You know, I know the plans I have for you, mm. not to harm you, but to give you a future and a hope." And so we are working with young people beyond their 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 youngest years in primary school and high school on into universities. To, uh, to transform uh, their lives. Let me tell you a quick story on Rick, okay? He'll kill me for this. He probably will. Well, we, he, He's not listening to the show. He's so not listening. Right. He's a busy man. He's not listening to this. So um, he, he, sponsor, he, he sponsored one of our leadership development students while she became a nurse, and she was in Bolivia. And it came time for her to graduate from nurses training at the University of La Paz. So Rick and Roxanne came with me to attend her graduation. And uh, it was wonderful. I mean, she was a beautiful young lady in her beautiful white uh, nurses uniform. We talked to the, her professors uh, they were blown away that a child from the Altiplano, one of the poorest parts of Bolivia, had become a student in their school and had graduated number one in her class. And they were all so proud of her. And it was it was amazing. And so we said, can we go up with you? Her name was Jenny. Jenny, can we go up on the Altiplano 15,000 feet? You can hunt elk up there, man. <laughs> uh, and, um, and, and can we see the little house where you grew up in and the, and the project, the little church that ministered to you? Here's where I make the case that while one minute can change a life, for a sponsor, one sentence in a letter can change a life. So up we go, and here's the, on this high, this is so high altitude that airplanes don't even slow down to land. I oh, mean, they wow. come in full speed on a two-mile runway. <laughs> you're, you're hanging on singing, Nearer My God to Thee, you know, the whole trip. <laughs> so we go up there, and here's this pristine home, her wonder father, her father, her father is a little bicycle repairman her mother has the house pristine and we say can we go down and see the project where you grew up from the time you were a little girl so we walk down there it's about a two mile walk we get to this little adobe church up on the plains there's no trees there's not even any grass it's lunar landscape up there And they don't know that we're coming but as we walk into the church there are about 200 children gathered there for some sort of a assembly or something. And uh, the pastor looks up and he sees Jenny in her nurse's uniform. And he remembers what a beautiful voice she has as she plays the guitar. And he interrupts the whole thing to say, Jenny, welcome back. Can you play us a song? So Rick and Roxanne and I stood at the back of the church. We're not 15 yards away. It's not a big church. All these little children are, they're all sitting there in their little uniforms. It's so cute. And Jenny sits down and she begins to play the guitar and sing a song. And you know how you're supposed to do, you musicians. You look over here for a while, then you look over here for a while, you try to engage the whole crowd. And she started that way. But then I noticed she was looking in just one place. And I looked where she was looking and there was a little girl at the end of the third row. I remember she was so small that her her, her feet were swinging in the air they didn't even touch the floor. And then I looked and Jenny's eyes were welling up with tears. And then finally her voice cracked and she put her guitar down and she looked at that little girl and she said, sweetheart, you're sitting in the exact seat where I used to sit when I was a little girl, just like you. Do you see what has happened to my life? Do you see what has happened to me? This can happen to you. Just don't be discouraged. Don't ever give up. Just keep going, keep going, keep going. And I, re- I saw suddenly she looked to the back of the room to her sponsors standing there and realized the reason she had those words in her heart is she had read those words over the years from Rick and Roxanne Robinson. And I don't know what happened next, guys, uh, but it all went blurry at that point and I didn't see the rest of it. But I realized Rick and Roxanne pouring themselves in her since she was a little girl and telling her, "Don't give up. You can do it. We believe in you." Got into her heart, and she passed it on. It became a full circle of truth in life. Well, it's got a little blurry in here
0: too, uh, yeah. just now. I am pretty sure that book, that story, is in the book
1: you wrote, "Too Small to Ignore." It is. I. I don't remember what page it is, but it's one of my favorite stories. and I love Rick and Roxanne. what amazing people.
0: He'll be so upset you mentioned his name, but I but that's the, but that's it. the beauty, but that's the beauty of generosity, right? And, exactly. and so this is but this this brings up another point, Wes. Yep. You know we talk about we talk about the, the the value and importance of men. We talk about how if we fix the men, you know men, uh, we are part of the problem. But if hmm. that's the case, conversely, we are the solution. To eighty percent of the world's problems, you wrote this on page one eighty-five, of your book. And I want to, I want to ask a question. That I think a lot of our guys are really, uh, it's maybe getting a little blurry for them because of shame, mm-hmm. right now. They're they're mm-hmm. d- they're discouraged about some choices they've made. You wrote this. You said words may not be what is called for in the moment at all. Maybe it is a life of integrity lived consistently in front of a child that will have the profound impact on the keen little witness who was watching. You never know when you are making a memory. You know what, uh, Wes? You and I are not so naive to believe this, but there are men listening to this podcast right now, men from over 100 nations who have not, for whatever reason, seen their child in years. 40% of children today are born out of wedlock. 50% Mm. of marriages end in divorce. 50% of divorced families won't see their, the children won't see their dad for an entire year. What do you say to a man right now who's saying, I've been in the bleachers, I've been anonymous in the stands all my life, I have shame, I have children who need me who I've disengaged from. Guys, Lord, they're, they're praying, they're
1: crying out right now, maybe they're pulled
0: over weeping. How do I get back in the game? What do I do to make this right? What would you say to that guy?
1: I would say to him, uh, first of all, um, know that your child is probably alive and they are cared for by your heavenly father. And you pray that someone, that God will surround that child with some other men if you can't relocate them, that will breathe into them what you would want to breathe in them. Don't give up, you're valuable, you're precious. But I would say if you wanna honor your child that you no longer have contact with, then look at the children around you. Mm. Pour yourself into the children uh, and again, when I say pour yourself, I don't mean give him a big Shakespearean lecture. I mean a sentence that says, you know, if you see a little guy holding the door for his mama at the grocery store, say, wow, what a strong young man you are. That is so cool that you would care enough to hold the door for your mama. You're going to to grow up to be a great man. It doesn't take but a second. It doesn't take a stroke of genius. Uh, uh, yeah. And, and, and one more thing you can do uh, if, uh, if you don't, aren't connected with uh, your wife um, is you can watch for the women in the world around you uh, mm-hmm. and bless the caregivers. I remember, Ron, I'll tell you a quick story in Colorado Springs. I was having my car washed in a car wash where the, you know the car comes through the building And I was sitting out there with a mother and her little four-year-old boy sitting next to me. And it took a little while for the cars to get through, so I was listening. They had this wonderful conversation going on, teasing each other and asking questions. It was the sweetest little discord I had ever seen. And then finally, their car came out a little ahead of me. And as uh, she she got up to walk to her car, I said, excuse me, ma'am, can I just tell you what a remarkable job you're doing with that little boy. He is Mm. lucky to have you as his mama. I've been listening into it. I'm so proud of you. He's a lucky little boy. And she said, well, thank you, sir. (laughs) Now that I'm all old and everything, I'm no threat. I'm sir. Exactly. So so she gets to her car. She gets her little boy into his car seat. She stands there for a second. And then she comes walking all the way back, 20, 20 yards back to where I'm still sitting. And she says, can I give you a hug? She Mm. said, I'm trying so hard to be a worthy mother. I'm pouring myself. Nobody has ever said anything like that to me ever before. Mm. And I'm like, come on, men, you have no idea the power of your words, the power of your deeds. We can change the world if we will just stand up and be men.
0: I agree a hundred percent. You know, I got to tell you, so my, my youngest son plays college football, and he had a game in Southern California. And my wife's a flight attendant, so we fly standby. Well, mm-hmm. without getting into the details, I missed my my flight was full in San Francisco. I slept on the floor in San Francisco. It was a rough night of sleep, as you're, you know. So we get to the hotel, and my, we meet some friends there that have their, their son is on the team. They all want to go to the pool. And they've got two children, six, six his name is Bo, Eight. Her name is Sadie, and they were all at the pool. Well, I I told my wife I haven't slept on that. I'm gonna sleep. So I'm laying there, in the bed trying to sleep. And your 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 book and a quote in your book came to my mind, and I thought I need to get in the game. So I went down there. I'm a big guy. I can't do a lot of things well, but I can lift things and throw things. <laughs> uh, their dad is a great guy, but he's a skinny guy. So I got down there. I go hey I go hey Fritz. Can I throw your kids in the pool? Yeah, so for two hours, we did three sets of tw- 10 throws each. I am so sore right now, but my but, I, but these kids, you know what was cool? I was able to bless a child, uh, a child who, for whatever reason, the great parents, but there's always an opportunity out there to bless a child. And I, I just got to say, on page 23 of your book, it was the most powerful quote of your book, Wes. It was a mm. bo- quote that I have used as a compass when I'm around children. And you've said it over and over again, but I'm gonna have you repeat the same thing a different way. Maybe one of our guys, you know, sometimes we need to have it repeated.
2: And <laughs> we do. The We're the good guys, is. you know. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, keep saying it. Oh
0: yeah, I heard that now. So here it is. And you said this: if a child is around, we should be in high alert, not not just to not harm them, but to rescue them when needed, and to advance them lovingly, lovingly any way we can now that statement has been so powerful for me why is it that men need to hear this specifically men how can we appropriately
1: do this for children in a world that's very skeptical of men yeah you know i i I say somewhere in the book if i remember right you never stand so tall as when you stoop to help a little child yep yep and us big guys with these big, scary bodies, uh, we, uh, we, um, we need to understand that that's a tool. It's, it shows a child's uh, strength. Um, and I think that, uh, yeah, w- we often relegate this to women because women have a natural heart for this, I suppose. Uh, but I maintain uh, this is a calling uh, for men. If you go, if you go through this uh, uh, just a minute book, uh, you run into all kinds of men in there. Uh, one of them you run into is Tony Dungy. Yeah. Why is Tony Dungy so calm and collected at the side of a football game you don't know whether he's winning or losing? There's, a, there's an answer for, for that from his own father. Uh, You've got Pat Riley, that great Lakers coach who, oh, yeah. uh, as a nine-year-old boy, was scared to death of basketball and was ready to give up, and someone stepped in and said, don't be afraid. You could be great at this if you throw yourself into this. Um, John, so Wesley. Yeah. John Wesley. John is, Wesley is, is one of them. I was named after him. you think I would remember that story well enough <laughs> to tell. Oh, um, General Colin Powell. The yeah. integrity of that man, there's a minute where that integrity got built into a little guy. Mm. And so, you know, if we, as, if, if we as men are looking at children around us and saying, what do I see? What qualities do I see? What character uh, do I see? And what can I do to advance them? I'll tell you one thing I saw, Jim, recently that I had never seen. I'm a graduate of Moody Bible Institute. How did this story get by me? But two of the greatest child champions ever were Caleb and Joshua. Oh. Caleb... Caleb and Joshua were two of the spies, you know, that went out to, to spy yeah. out the land. Yeah. And they were the only two who believed God could do this. The rest of them said, hey, let's just choose new leaders and go back to Egypt, back to slavery. And God was so brokenhearted and so angry. He said, none of you guys, none of you grown-ups, you're not going to be alive. I'm going to take all of you out except Joshua and Caleb and all of the children in Israel. So sure enough, 40 years passed. But these guys, as young men, had the promise for God, you're going to be alive 40 years from now. And you're going to be strong enough to lead all these children who will then be your warriors and, their, and your leaders. Uh, you're going to lead them to conquer Canaan. So you're not only going to be alive, you're still going to be strong 40 years from now. And I wonder what kind of men did they become? Goodness, they must have gone to every soccer game. They must have gone to every sling, every archery uh, that was going on, looking for character, looking for abilities. They must have gone to all of the grown-ups in in Israel and said, you're not going to be alive, but I need you to help me develop the children so that the future is ready to be the." to take the victory, to take the promised land. Jericho will come down God's way if we disciple the children now. And I'm thinking, those are two great mighty warriors. They did this because they knew they had 40 years to live and every child around them became important. Every child's birth must have been a celebration. They're always asking, what is this child, and what do I need them to be 40 years from now when we go in to fulfill God's promise of conquering the land? Wow. I, Goodness. Have never, a, I've never thought of that. No, me neither. Can you believe it? I, <laughs> I, I stumbled onto that about two weeks ago. How did I miss that?
0: Yeah, you think about all the adults
1: dying. You're like, who's raising the kids? Yeah, well, those two (laughs) guys became men. Nobody doubts that Caleb and Joshua were men. So here are two of the greatest men ever, big, strong, mighty warriors, and they are all about the little children around them. That's what we need.
0: And that's the joy of your book, Wes, You are never so manly as when you're stooping down to hug or love a child, that that there's this gentle, giant component. You know, people think that gentleness is uh, birthed out of weakness. No, No, gentleness is birthed out of strength. You can't be gentle and be weak. You can only be gentle if you are strong, and that's That's what men need to understand. It's yep. so important. Well, you said this on page. I want two more questions, and okay. uh, and I I want to. I know you got to you got to hit out of here. We want to honor you. You said you never. And, I, and we've talked a lot about this, but you said, and I want to just quote it because it's so powerful. You never know when a young life is hanging by a thread. Yes, and that is so powerful. Do you have anything yeah. to add
1: to that or elaborate? I will. I will just uh, tell you a, a, another one minute, very quickly. I come to America 17 years old and I am destroyed. I don't know the culture, I don't know the jokes, I don't know the music, I don't know how to dress. I'm African all the way through Mm -hmm. and I'm lost and my heart is broken because of abuse and poverty. I am a lost soul and I'm hanging on by a thread. When a youth pastor stands up at a evening campfire and he says, some of you guys have been really, really hurt I got news for you. The people who hurt you don't even care. They don't even remember it. They don't remember your name. You are the only person carrying that load. You're letting them rent your brain free. You're letting them live in your heart and you are the only one paying the price. And there's only one way out of this, forgiveness. You've got to let them go through forgiveness. And it was a moment, his name was Glenn Ruby. There was a moment when I said, after everybody had left the campfire, I said, yes, that's exactly me. And I said, okay, you people who hurt me, I know you don't care. I know you'll never apologize. So I choose to forgive you. Now get out of my head, get the hell out of my heart. I know you'll never apologize. So I forgive you. Now get out. And that moment transformed me. Now listen, I have learned a bit about forgiveness since then, but you got to know this is the same rage that that little guy with a candle had seven mm-hmm. years earlier. Here's what I've learned. Forgiveness is hard to do. Uh, sometimes it's harder than the thing that's needing to be forgiven, but it doesn't mean what happened to you doesn't matter. It doesn't mean you have to bring that person back in and, and let them maybe hurt you again. We say, But it does mean you gotta unclench your candle and let it drop. Mm. We say, forgive and forget, as if that's an easy thing to do. But when you have really been hurt, it's not that easy. And you are surrounded by people who are hanging by that kind of a thread. What I've learned is this though, you will never forget what you will not forgive.
2: Mm. And the minute with that
1: youth pastor to a young man hanging by a thread, I attribute that to what saved me, the power of forgiveness to go on and be of some use in the kingdom of God. If God can use me, guys, he can use anyone. Mm. I was destroyed, hanging by a thread and that little probably five minute thought saved my life, saved my soul, allowed me to be useful and productive in the kingdom of God. You never know what a little one around you is going through, so don't walk by them. And By the way, when you talk to them, get down to their level if they're small. Don't tower over them. We're scary enough as it is. Kneel down, uh, look them in the eye, let them know how precious they are, how important they are. Listen to them. God gave you two ears and one mouth. Probably you should be using them among kids like that. And yeah. you can be the champion that says the right thing, does the right thing, that launches that little life or rescues that soul.
0: That's so good. I'm reminded of a quote from Leonard Smeeds, I think, who said, "To forgive is to set a prisoner free, only to realize that prisoner is you." Mm, and that's wow, so powerful. Yeah. You know, I I got to tell you this, Wes. So I end every book, every blog every message because of a story i heard from you when you spoke at our church uh it's been over a decade ago and i want to end the podcast with this story and i want you to tell us the story of abraham lincoln at church and i want you to tell these guys i want you to give these guys a great thing to do
1: well yeah the story is told of abraham lincoln what a remarkable guy he was uh but one one day after a service in church uh as he was leaving the, uh, the pastor was shaking hands, and he said, Well, Mr. President, uh, what did you think of my sermon? And Abraham Lincoln, honest Abe Lincoln, uh, said, Well, it was, it was great, Pastor, uh, but you didn't ask me to do anything great. And that's, I think, if I remember right, Jim, what I said is, I'm asking you to do something great. I'm asking you to do something that I know you can do. It happened to you probably as a little guy. You know uh, them around you. You know kids that may you may only see one time, but you know kids that you tuck in bed at night. You know kids who gather around your Thanksgiving table. Uh, kids that God brings in your life once in a while or are regularly in your life. So think through, what could I say? What could I do that could lift their spirits, that could challenge them, that could encourage them, that could lighten uh, their heart, their, their, their spirit? Practice it in your head. Then when you see those children, step up, be a man, and do this remarkably important thing. That is and
0: honestly that is a great thing. Mother Teresa once said you can do no great things just small things with great love and that's yeah. what we're talking about. Do a small thing with great love guys. Get on your knees, get on your all fours and let a little kid ride you like a horse or you know <laughs> bark at some little kid when he walks in the room, you know, have a good time with these guys. And I would add one more thing guys. Yeah. And the, the one thing is this, if if there is a man in your life or a woman, a person who changed you in just a minute. Yes. I want to encourage you to contact that person and say yep. thank you. You never know when you're going to talk to a Mr. Biden who I talked to who died six months later, but I was able to say what I needed to say before it was too late. Yep. And so, Wes, thank you so much. Yep. It's always such an honor and a pleasure to have you on. Just a word of
1: caution, Jim. Uh, yes. Guys, I would strongly, strongly encourage you to find this book. Um get once you've read it and you know the power of it give it to people who you know are these kind of heroes for children and give it to your pastor and other people who are in positions of power that need to understand and think differently in order to become these kind of people and one last word of caution these are powerful stories and so i get i often get guys getting back to me on email saying you should have warned me not to read this on an airplane because I'm sitting there, I'm crying, and people are looking, are you okay? And he's like, yes, I'm just reading a book. <laughs> so get it. Read it on an airplane, but not without Kleenex nearby.
0: <laughs> Here's the book, guys. Just a Minute by Wes Stafford. And Wes actually spoke at one of our conferences and gave away 200 of these. Oh, and so yeah. uh, he's putting his money where his mouth is. So, guys, uh, this book, along with his other book, Too Small to Ignore, they really – are that could be the same book combined they're just beautiful books mm. and uh, guys i want to encourage you to get that so wes uh thank you so much you are one of my heroes oh, and uh, you, i really appreciate the impact you've had among children around the world so dale uh drive us home brother
3: yeah guys we want you to
0: head on over to men
3: and pick up your free copy of tell them what great fathers tell their sons and daughters Until next time, fill the wet sand on the arena floor. Hear the deafening roar of the crowd. Taste the sweetness of victory. Smell the stench of battle. Get in the game. Get dirty. Grind it out and
2: be a man. everyone wins.